data is at the core of every decision that we make. In the end, risk management is about data quality. If you have reliable data, data that you can use, and you know how to interpret that, you can just achieve so much. The more efficient data points you collect, the better you can be at spotting patterns and then building scenarios in order to prevent those behaviors from taking place. That is Camila Vicenciwit, the Chief Risk and Compliance Officer at Inpe, a Danish company leading the world in cross-border payment infrastructure. Camila shared insights into the importance of data governance and transparency and ensuring that data is used for legitimate purposes while building trust with customers. She also highlighted the potential of cross-border payments in supporting NGOs and combating issues like human trafficking. Camila delves into the critical role of data in risk management and compliance. She emphasizes the significance of reliable data, efficient data points, and pattern recognition in identifying and preventing suspicious activities. With AI as an ally, the future of risk models is promising, allowing for more accurate detection and prevention of financial crimes. We're your hosts, as always, Nora Hocke and Bianca Lopez. And here's my conversation with Camila Vicenciwit. Welcome to Fintech Files and one of the hosts, Bianca Lopez. And I'm so excited to have you here, Camila Vicente, with us. Welcome. Thank you so much, Bianca. I'm also super excited to be here. Camila, you have a really big job, Chief Risk and Compliance Officer of NPay. And here at Fintech Files, we like explaining to people like we would explain to our grandmas what these big jobs are. So why don't we start there? How would I explain what I do to my grandma? Compliance is more black and white, right? Are we following the legislation? Are we not? What are the things that we have to abide to? What are the results of the second line controls? Are we doing what we say that we are doing? While risk is more nuanced. Well, you could do that, but those would be the consequences. Are you actually willing to do that? And it's about knowledge. And that is what I find fascinating because the more you know, the better choices you can make. You gave an incredible explanation of what are the parameters in which we help a company navigate. Tell the people at Fintech Files a little bit about you. How did your journey start? So I know you're maybe originally from Brazil. <laughs> Something we share. Yeah, I come from the countryside of Brazil. One thing that everyone in Brazil have in common is the fact that we are used to deal with uncertainty. And I think that that's a great background for anyone who wants to work uh, in risk. You need to understand uncertainty and think about the plan A, B, C, D, the whole alphabet in many different languages. And I studied law in Porto Alegre and I graduated in law and I actually fell in love with academia. So I started teaching international law and human rights and I am a bit of a nerd. Welcome. So I know that it sounds a <laughs> bit, yeah, I know that it sounds a bit pretentious, but I actually have two PhDs in law. So it sounds factual, Camila. <laughs> and then I started to work with risk analytics, especially with model risk in Danske Bank. And then I started to work with compliance and I, I started working with FCA Capital. Before joining InPay, I have been at MobilePay for five years and mobile pay is 
Animari Institute, which is in the pocket of every single Dane and is one of the most loved brands in Denmark too, uh, both peer-to-peer and peer-to-business. Mobile Pay, a Danish and Finnish digital wallet introduced in 2013, is at the forefront of payment innovation with a strong commitment to rigorous risk and compliance standards. Anchored in the principles of data integrity and identity verification, Mobile Pay stands out for its seamless integration with the Danish civil registration system, commonly known as CPR. Utilizing your CPR number, Mobile Pay not only verifies your identity, but it also retrieves your address from the Danish Central Office of Civil Registration. This robust system significantly reduces the risk of fraudulent activities and bolsters the compliance framework. With a user base exceeding 4 million in Denmark, mobile pay has become an indispensable part of everyday life. Now, let's return to Camilla's insights. The fact that mobile pay could tap into the CPR register, the people's register, and get validated data on people's name, date of birth, and gender, and address, meant that mobile pay was able to service the vast majority of Danes with a great user experience. Tell us a little bit about what is the role of, and, and maybe for the people out there that don't know what MPay is, we kind of touched on, your, on the other roles you've had. Tell me a little bit about MPay and a little bit about your role there. Inpay specialized in cross-border payments, and Inpay has a history that really resonates with me. Our founder, Jacob, he started Inpay um, many years ago in 2008, when there was this natural disaster in Myanmar, and Jacob wanted to donate money to help the victims of this disaster. And then he found out that it was complicated, it was taking a long time, there was no transparency on what was going on, and credit cards were taking 5% of his money the money that was supposed to go to the victims of this disaster. And Jacob, uh, with his background, and he has a background uh, in risk too, decided that he wanted to do better. So he founded InPay, and InPay grew and specialized again in cross-border payments across 70-plus jurisdictions. And what we do every day here is deal with complexity, and we thrive in that environment when we look at, you know, how financial services infrastructure works today, I get just a headache thinking of 70 regulators in jurisdictions you, you operate in. Criminals don't really care. So they're just going at whatever speed and gap they can find. So tell us some of the great stories here at FinTech Files of where have you found challenges or opportunities addressing these issues in risk and compliance? You are completely right, uh, Bianca. You also have criminals without borders. I think that sometimes we forget that fraudsters and criminals, this is their full-time job. So we might spend seven and a half hours here in Denmark or uh, more hours in other places trying to prevent this and doing our jobs. This is the time that they spend trying to circumvent the defenses that we build. Fraud and financial crime they have reached a new level of sophistication. And when we operate across all these jurisdictions, of course, we are more vulnerable, for instance, to being misused for layering of funds to kind of let's erase the track of this money going here and there and so on. But what makes InPay especially good at this is diversity again. We have people from more than 50 nationalities in the center of Copenhagen. Everyone brings 
practice knowledge with them, the things that they have seen from their experiences, from their countries. And this really helps us to cover and to prepare for whatever might happen. So this is a huge strength. Another huge strength is that Jacob had risk management embedded in InPay from the start. He designed and built InPay with compliance at its core. When you talk about transaction screening and transaction monitoring, until recently we had a proprietary system. So we know how to build it, we know how it works. And that also makes a huge difference. One of the things that makes me most proud recently is that InPay is partnering up with NGOs, such as the Danish Red Cross, to help them accomplish their mission in jurisdictions that are hard to reach, such as Myanmar. So, you know, the Danish Red Cross, sometimes they want to pay the local staff there or they want to send money to fund the project. And traditional banking, for many reasons, is not often equipped to serve NGOs. It takes a long time. It's very expensive. And the regulatory burden is quite high. So we are extremely, extremely proud of being able to partner up with the Danish Red Cross and help them in their mission and helping people because that's why Jacob founded InPay many years ago. You summed it up perfectly. You said, you know, complicated, complex, and costly. These are all things that just, you know, when we think about technology and risk management being there and we think about the use case of aid, I get so excited about the role of data, Camila. And I know that that's something you and I share. So how does Zimpay like leverage data to like enable this one cost-effective deployment of technology, but also an insurance that these risk models are compliant and are, you know, protecting the right guys, keeping the bad guys out, which is no small feat. You are right again, Bianca, and we do share a passion about data because data is at the core of everything and of every decision that we make, right? I mean, in the end, risk management is is about data quality. So if you have reliable data, data that you can use and you know how to interpret that, you can just achieve so much. So when we talk about transaction screening and transaction monitoring, for instance, to prevent financial crime, the more efficient data points you collect, the better you can be at spotting patterns. So identifying those patterns and then building scenarios in order to prevent those behaviors from taking place, identifying them and stopping the transactions even before they happen. But you need to know what you're looking for. And that's where the curiosity element comes. And again, that's something that I think that everyone in fintech shares, right? It's new and we are curious people. And this is a world that we are learning more and more. And now that we have AI to support us, it's going to be a, a quantic leap in terms of risk models when we talk about transaction screening and transaction monitoring to detect those patterns. To help illustrate what Camila is talking about, picture this. Risk and compliance officers are like financial detectives, always on the lookout for suspicious activities that might indicate something fishy is going on. Think of it as solving a complex financial puzzle. Now imagine you're digging into the data and you spot a company where all transactions mysteriously happen in the dead of night, when most businesses are closed. That's already a red flag. But it doesn't end there. All the money from these transactions flows into a single account 
with no clear business reason to receive such funds. To add to the mystery, the company has no online presence whatsoever. And on top of that all, there's a sudden surge in transactions to overseas accounts that were never part of the business before. These are types of clues that risk and compliance offices piece together and they could indicate serious issues like human trafficking or terror financing. It's like connecting the dots to uncover illicit activities and protect the financial system from harm. And in the face of such complex data, AI becomes a valuable tool for spotting patterns and identifying risks. Explain that to people, Camila, like break it down. Like when we talk about AI, a lot of people say, okay, it's the ability to compute a lot more patterns, but break it down for people. Like how do you anticipate and, and maybe where are we now in that reality? Yeah, for sure. We are in different places. There are some people who have been investing in automation and machine learning for a long time. There's places in which the processes are heavily manual. And I can illustrate that perhaps with a bit of my journey. So at one point in my career, maybe you're also doing that, Bianca, but I was uh, looking directly into the transactions for suspicious activity reporting. So I had to open, I don't know how many panes of transactions and you know, export the data. <laughs> Yes, yeah, suspicious activity reports. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, linking the data manually and extracting things to Excel and then, you know, filtering which transactions went to whom at what time. And this was extremely heavy when this manual work. And we have to report that to the Financial Intelligence Unit, to the FIU, which takes more time. That was extremely burdensome. Now we have tools that we can tell them, okay, what I'm looking for is this. Can you identify any pattern? Can you please put all this trans aggregate all these transactions here? And especially we can visualize the links between people, right? I mean, like you can look at a network, okay, this person has been transferring to this person at this time and 20 minutes afterwards they transfer to the other person and then someone bought a ticket to a country that is affiliated with terror activities. You can look at all of this and while it's very hard to be 100% sure in the position of a compliance officer, whether something is really going wrong, you have pretty good indicators. And AI helps you to be more accurate and to compile more data in a more effective manner too. AI is a huge factor in risk and compliance, especially when it comes to addressing the complexities of data governance. Data governance serves as the rulebook for managing and safeguarding data, acting as its guardian to ensure accuracy, security, and responsible use. It involves establishing policies, processes, and procedures for data collection, storage, access, and usage. The impact of effective data governance is profound. It has a pivotal role in nurturing trust among customers and stakeholders ensuring data serves legitimate purposes and empowering well-informed decision-making within the organization. Now let's explore the realm of data governance in greater detail. When you think about the significance of this in terms of data governance, you know, a huge part of, for me, this opportunity of understanding the power of data, understanding, as you said, the complexity, the stories that it tells, 
allows you to change the model of ownership, of rights, of reputation, of stewardship, of care. So how does Impay look at all of that? Data governance is something of the utmost importance for us. And uh, we have a special team looking into data management because it's more than a hygiene factor. Being able to trust your data means that you can make informed decisions and people should have ownership of that data too. So when I put something in one field, I need to know which other fields are affected by the data that I input there. If I decide to change something in an Excel spreadsheet, I need to know whose departments are going to be affected by those changes too. So mapping those dependencies and having the right governance on who is responsible for data ownership, who does data remediation in case we find something wrong, it's really, really important. And I can give you one example from a previous job that I had. At some point, we were calculating the number of resources that we would need in order to deal with the ongoing due diligence cases in the next year. And because there was a data issue, a data integrity issue, the number of cases that were classified as high risk was 10 times the actual number. And people didn't realize that for quite a while. Now, imagine if you in a company have to hire for that. You have to hire like 10 times the number of resources if you have manual processes because you believe that the next year you're going to have all that number of cases when in reality your data is not good enough. You know, someone did not validate that data and you can make very poor decisions if you don't have a good and strong data governance in place. It's a complex thing. I think nobody really realized that data was going to be the largest asset class humanity has ever built. We build this faster than we build anything else. And unfortunately, we had some people out there telling companies, enterprise organizations to hoard it all. But how do you look at that journey and when InPay is out there working with clients, what have you learned about that optimization or that ability to really see the big picture that risk and compliance can enable? You talked about the data hoarders. My great-grandma, she had a saying uh, that went something like that. Those who keep what they don't need have what they need in the future. And it's very hard to translate it. But that led to my whole family, you know, that being hoarders, chronic hoarders. And I usually tell people that when it comes to data, they should follow the opposite of my great-grandma's advice. You need to think if you really need that data and what is that you're going to be using that data for. And you need to be very careful in explaining that to your customers. So we need to explain to them what is that we're doing with that data, how is that data stored, and when is that we're going to be deleting that data too, which is something that is quite important. It comes to bridging these regulatory requirements and explaining them to our customers in a way that makes sense for them and letting them know that everything that we do has a purpose. We are collecting that because we have a regulatory obligation. We are regulated by the Danish FSA and because we need to understand who is the person who ultimately owns this company, benefits from the profits of this company and so on. 
And that transparency actually helps them because the more we know about their business, the more we can fine tune our models and the higher completion rates of transactions they're going to get. So everything is interlinked. If you have good data and if you have a good understanding of your customer, and if you build this trustworthy relationship, you can enable more transactions because you don't need to stop every single transaction and ask, what is this? What is this about? Because you had that conversation beforehand and you trust them. You said it, the most important word, so overused, but you trust them. How do we build in the data layer of the communication of the internet, you know, a layer of true trust? We talk about cross-border payments. We talk about like breaking down so many barriers and so many structures, literally, physically, and regulatorily. And being able to do that for the purpose that money and value was all along. As a risk and compliance officer, one of the key pillars of the role is building trust with customers. Trust is the foundation upon which financial institutions like InPay operate. And it's crucial for ensuring the security and integrity of the services. However, building trust in the world of finance can be a complex and challenging endeavor. Customers expect the organization to safeguard their sensitive information, ensure their financial transactions are secure, and comply with stringent regulations. Any breach of this trust can have serious consequences, both legally and in terms of reputation. The challenges lie in striking a balance between providing a seamless user experience and implementing rigorous security measures. It's about ensuring that customers feel confident in the ability to protect their data while also delivering a user-friendly platform. Maintaining this equilibrium requires constant vigilance, adapting to evolving threats and staying ahead of cyber criminals. So when you look at this future of this place, you know, evolving risk, a ton of technology out there. We know that the industry still tight. You know, some of these big financial institutions are like moving ginormous ships and their ability to do exactly what you said, innovate, change, connect. Cross-border payments for me is and remittances is about connectivity. It's about access, what all this technology was really meant to do. So when you think of that, what do you get excited? What do you see in the future of risk management? Tell us. I see a lot of opportunities. And again, it's about knowing because the better data we have, the better decisions we can make. I know that I keep saying that, but it's so true. And the more we get different views on, on things and learn from other people's experiences, I think that we can do so much for society as a whole. In cross-border payments, for sure, such as supporting uh, NGOs and helping them to reach these destinations that traditional banking cannot support them with. But also, I mean, there is so much work being done uh, when we talk about prevention, that there's networks that now are cooperating together to identify pattern, transactions patterns, that can be indicative of human trafficking and sexual exploitation. And I think that this is a fascinating way in which us in fintech can help society. We can identify that and we can help catch the people who are exploiting other people. And we have done that. We are doing that in Denmark already. What are, out of all these technologies, you like sort of most excited about, Camila? 
We could have a whole episode on, on Gen AI, right? There's so much going on there. And uh, again, all the things that you can put together for me, it's about data visualization. Because again, I, I was teaching, I was a professor for some time, and I, I believe that people learn in different manners. So when you can use Gen AI first to capture data, make sense of the data, and present it in a visual way that helps people to understand it and understand the outcomes and the connections. For me, this is fascinating. And again, it comes perhaps from my passion for education and for knowledge. Because quite often, I believe that a lot of problems come from miscommunication. When we talk about interpretation of the regulation, we need to keep in mind what was the desired intent, exactly as you mentioned, Bianca. What was the goal of the legislation? It's just not like a copy-paste. I'm not doing that just because it's in the law. I'm doing that because there is a meaning behind that. And being able to use this technology to educate people and to make them see what is that we are stopping here. For me, this is groundbreaking. And it is. Camilla, you are inspiring to listen to. And, you know, I think a lot of people out there that listen to you talk about data modeling, running teams, governance, risk, diversity, all the big jobs you've had handling 70 jurisdictions and more to come with InPay. What advice do you have for them? Listen to each other. Listen to the people you work with. They always have something to teach you. They can always bring a new perspective. I have been extremely fortunate in a sense to, I think, been surrounded by people who taught me so much, but at the same time, I kept my ears open. And listening to a podcast such as Fintech Files is a great way to listen to each other and listen to people who have different perspectives. Open yourself to what is different and just keep learning one step at a time. Again, I came to Denmark uh, nine years ago and I started from the scratch. I used to be a professor and I started working with risk nine years ago, but I kept curious and I kept listening and I'll keep listening, especially to you, Bianca. Aww. Camilla, you've been so inspiring. Thank you so much for telling your story. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Camilla was super cool. Camilla was Brazilian. Ah, oh, the odds. Living in Denmark. Ah, oh, the odds. And also with like a crazy background and two PhDs. It's like a match in heaven, uh, you being the host for Camila, that's for sure. It was mega fun. And she's also a mega nerd in data. I'm a big data nerd as well, as you know. But given that, that you have a background in digital identity as well, I'd love to get your view on this. What's your take on the topic? And maybe uh, you can share some experiences from living in Denmark yourself, knowing the Danish system, but also your experiences from other countries, where do we stand in terms of digital identity? We stand in a big mess, if I'm being honest, unfortunately, which is the challenge for somebody like Camila and Inpe, you know, managing 70 jurisdictions, is that identity is at the core of how kind of everything starts. If you think about how do you build trust, how do you know that is Nora on the other side? How do I make sure the Nora is the right recipient or the rightful owner of something? And these identity systems start by the kind of data they collect about people. 
and the identifiers and the things that they do. And if you kind of look around, you know, it's been hundreds of years. Technology has evolved to do incredible things that we've talked about here at Fintech Files. But identity still <laughs> lives in paper and cards and some very antiquated ways in a lot of places in the world. I'm Brazilian-Canadian, live in Denmark. I've seen a few places and I've been super fortunate with my love with biometrics to look at systems like Adar in India or systems like in the Middle East that have been some biometric proprietary digital systems that have run rails of merchant services and acquires. This all starts with how does a network of digital infrastructure build trust in this world? And... Identity is a bit of a mess because it's a conversation around who gets the right to own your data, who gets the right to tell the world who's Nora. Is that information centralized? Is that information anonymized? How is it guarded? It's all very different. That actually reminds me of an episode we had uh, in our very first season with Peter Großkopf, former CTO of Solaris and now um, CTO of Unstoppable Finance. He explained the role or the potential of the blockchain technology in this, where obviously, especially in cases where you do not have that central trusted institution, you could rely on a decentral system where each participant each, well, person in the end can self-certify their identity and yeah, own their data. The reason why I love it is because it's about humans. Technology gets me excited about, you know, what are we optimizing all of this for? So for me, identity was a way that technology translated that into something meaningful. And Camilla talked about that in our, in our episode when she talked about stewardship. And I know you're also passionate about that, Nora. Maybe share here a bit in, in FinTech Files, like what are some of the learnings you've had and some of the things you've been thinking around data governance and stewardship? Absolutely. So in most client situations where we were looking, for example, at how we can generate value out of technologies like Gen AI or classic AI or just take business intelligence, knowing in the end, like how your customers are doing, um, how your business is doing and not relying on that one data analyst drawing up a new report every day, but kind of automating that in a usable way. Um, and whenever a company wants to achieve that, you might think it's a standard these days, but in a lot of cases, obviously banks have built their reporting or data pipelines for regulatory reporting, because that's like the must have. But then there's so much more information that typically leaders um, would need on a daily basis to make data-based decisions. And since the systems are not ready for it, the governance below is not there. They just cannot do it or it takes a lot of effort to generate that information. And I've just, <laughs> I've spotted it already. The first question that often comes up is like, Obviously, first of all, what kind of information do we actually need for that decision? And then you would go a little deeper and be like, yeah, okay, what kind of systems, dashboards, data views or so would that be? And then you go deeper, like, where do we get that data from? Like, what source systems do we have? And if you already got to that layer, you will probably have noticed that there's 
lots of responsibilities floating around for certain systems or for certain business areas or so that float around. But in a lot of cases, there was no like owner for the data. It was just like associated to the system. Like there's a system and there's data in it. So the system owner is also responsible for the data. But then what typically happen, you look at the data and it looks like crap. And the reason for that is that obviously not the system owner is inserting the data or providing that data, but that is done somewhere upstream in the value chain by, for example, a front office employee. So you have to go to a totally different organizational silo to actually improve the data quality. And for me, data governance is about removing those silos and looking at the data, not just as part of a system, but looking at a data value chain in the end and defining the right points in this chain and the right people to ensure good data quality. This has been FinTech Files, a podcast from BCG Platinum. This season, we dive deep into the groundbreaking ideas shaping the future of fintech. And we want to hear from you, our listeners. What topics would you like us to cover and who are your dream guests? Drop us a line anytime at fintech-podcast at bcgplatinian.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.